Welcome to a very special episode of Sakamichi Nights. It is Tachikawa. It is night. We are here. It's a pretty special night, Matthew Boynton. Why is that? It is, Daniel Bellamy. It's always a special night when we get to drink beer together. That's true. But this one is particularly special because we have a new original Sakamichi beer Mm. to taste. Manticore's Kiss. You know, if only the, uh, the public... Had, had liked that idea, then we might have chosen it. But unfortunately, who are they, they to be a judge? They of roundly rejected Manticore's kiss. What a joke! So today, the beer that we're going to be drinking and celebrating is Shirasagi White IPA. Pretty exciting. Uh, our new beer that we made in collaboration with Futako Beer. It, it got delivered today, hmm. right? So this is about as fresh as it's possible to have it. And frequent listeners of the podcast will remember that we had uh, Chris Maycumber from Futako Beer on the podcast. Uh, he was a good guest. He had some. He he's got some knowledge that he brought. It was um, a very refreshing change to have somebody who actually knew a little bit about beer on the podcast. I for must once. say, very uh, different. Drop some knowledge bombs yeah. on us. Um, what do you say we mix things up a bit today? And forego the hilarious anecdotes that oh we God. usually start the episode with and just jump straight into the beer. Okay. All so right. Before we taste it, what could you tell us about Shirasagi White IPA? Uh, well, uh, it should be called Manticore's Kiss. But, but, aside from that, but it isn't. But it should be. But aside from that, uh, it is a white IPA. And a white IPA is a bit of a mashup. It's basically taking an IPA and giving it a bit of a Belgian spin. So we made this with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but we made it with Belgian uh, wit IPA, wit beer IPA. Um, And you're supposed to give it a little bit of uh, funkiness as well, I think, is the general idea. So it's a bit lighter, it's fruitier, it's got a bit of a a Belgian stank to it. That's the idea of of a a white IPA, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, yeah. So you're matching together the malt bill of a Belgian white beer, a wheat beer, with the the hops of an American style mm. IPA, uh, and so it's got a, a kind of sweetness and funkiness from the malt, yeah. but then a lot of bitterness and flavorfulness from the American hops. Mm. Uh, and white beers uh, are often flavored with orange peel. Yeah. So for this one, we chose a particular hop called Idaho Seven, which has a lot of kind of tangerine and orange kind of flavors, in order to simulate mm-hmm. that taste without actually adding in any orange peel. Yeah. Without further ado, why do we jump into the beer? Okay, we're back. So, what are your thoughts on Shirasagi White IPA? I'd like to first say that this is not a review show. Well, well we all know that. On this show, we celebrate the beer. Anybody who thinks this is a review show is sadly mistaken. Right. Uh, if this is the first episode you've listened to, then sorry about that. If you came in here expecting a review of Shirasagi White IPA, uh, the hot new product on the craft beer scene, then uh, then you're in for a bit of disappointment, I guess. Uh, but having said that, um, as you said, you know we might want to come across a lot of orange character in this. We put a load of Idaho 7 in it. Uh, so you might expect that coming through. And I think it, it hits pretty hard on that note. You get a lot of tangerine in the nose. Uh, and then it delivers on that when you drink it. I think those are kind of the, the, 
the the big thing that comes through is that tangerine note, but it also has uh, a bit of bite on the back end, uh, which I think you said was due to some of the acidulated malt. Is that right? Some backbiting, yeah. It's got a little yeah. bit of funk to it, mm. uh, and I like that. It gives it a little bit of uh, sharpness on the back end, which I think adds quite a bit of character. Um, yeah, smells good, tastes good. I'm enjoying it. I think if it was just the sweetness and the tangerininess from uh, the wheat and from the Idaho 7 hops, mm. that might be a little unbalanced. Mm. So it's important to have a little bit of funky bite to it right. as well. Um, when you first sort of lift the glass, or even when I first sort of poured the beer, the first thing I noticed was an incredible tangerine aroma. Yeah. It smells very strongly uh, of mecans and tangerines. And that definitely comes through the taste as well. It's moderately bitter, I would say. It's not a super bitter beer. Right. Yeah. And it's really drinkable, I think. Um, it's a 6% beer, but it certainly doesn't feel like it. This could be a session beer. Sure. Based on the ease with which it yeah. slips down the throat. Um, altogether, a very pleasant drinking beer for the hopefully slightly warming weather that we're going to be enjoying sure. over the next month yeah. or so. Part of the drinkability, I think, comes from the carbonation. It, it's, it seems like it's kind of finely carbonated, uh, but it, it feels quite sparkly in the mouth. Mm. That's Does that make sense like to Champagne you? on the tongue. A bit, yeah. Like, kinda, yeah. Effervescent is definitely the word. Uh, it's quite lively. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that uh, contributes to the drinkability, but it, it feels kind of fun to drink. All around, a very enjoyable package. Mm. And when uh, we try a beer on the show, we also like to try to pair it with some things by spinning yep. the wheel of pairings. Um, there are eight different choices that we could have. They are number one, food or cuisine. Number two, TV or movies. Number three, music. Number four, video game. Number five, location. Number six, activity. Number seven, drinking companion. And number eight, wild card. Mm. Let's roll their bones. All right, number seven. I haven't had this one for a while. Drinking companion. Mm. So if you were to sit down and drink a nice glass of Shirasagi White IPA with somebody. Right. Could be a famous person or a person you know. Could be somebody who's alive, somebody long gone. Can it be more than one person? Yeah, why not? Okay. Who would you choose? I would like to sit down and drink uh, a glass of Shirasagi White IPA with Siegfried and Roy. Okay. Both of them together? And would you like Manticore to be there? Was Man Manticore not put down? Is that... I believe Manticore is still alive. Then yes, I would like Manticore to be there. Maybe Manticore's alcohol problem was what caused the horrific attack in the first place. Had too much Manticore's kiss. Exactly. Uh, anyway, I'd like to drink it with uh, the three of them. Okay. As my drinking companions, because I feel like that would be the finest use of this beer as a cosmic joke. What would you like to discuss with Siegfried and Roy? Definitely not the naming the of the beer. No. Definitely not the Twitter poll. They seem like interesting chaps. Mm. Like, I'm sure they've had very interesting lives. Um, they're both from Germany originally, I believe. And at least one of them, maybe both of them, sort of ran away to sea to escape from abusive homes. Oh, wow. Okay. And to, uh, to work on cruise ships. Man, that's interesting because I think what I would like to talk to them about is... Uh, their training method for their tigers because right. neither one of them has any kind of formal training in in dealing with wild animals or tigers they've basically made up as i understand they've made up a method which involves 
procuring a tiger cub from somewhere right. and just kind of bonding with it very closely over the course of its life when it is like less able to murder you and then hoping that that holds some sway over its more base instincts as it becomes much more able to murder you. Right. Uh, I would like to ask them about how, that, how that's worked out for them. Not how it's worked out for them, but like... That's a fairly leading question. How, I mean, how did they come about this and, and how, how did they end up with tiger... Like, people don't just give you tiger cub. No one has ever just given me a tiger cub. Well, not so far. Not so far. But have you been asking for tiger cubs? Have you been willing that into existence? I haven't, no. So there you go. That's that's the secret right there. All right. Literally, capital T, capital S, the secret. Uh, That's what I would like to talk about is their method of training tigers. Would you be disappointed if Overdrinks, Siegfried, and Roy didn't break out a couple of magic tricks? Or would you think that was too vulgar to ask them? No, I mean, I don't really care about that, to be honest. Right, you're not there for the magic. No, I, I want to know about you training. You the gory details. No, 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 I just want to know, like, how they came about this and, and where they ended up with tiger cubs and how they felt like they could defy, you know, everything we know about, like, just kind of ignore everything we know about training animals like this and make up their own stuff and think that it would be fine. Okay, that's, a, that's an interesting answer. Yeah. So, Siegfried and Roy, I know you're listening. You have an open invitation to join us at the bar. Yeah. Um, for some Shirasagi white IPA. Please do not bring Manticore yeah. to, to the bar. I mean, but, but I would like some answers. How about you? Is it, uh, is it Manticore, but in a bathtub? In a bathtub with Winston Churchill. With you and Winston Churchill and Man- Manticore. In a, a larger bathtub or a normal, like, regular one-person bathtub? It would have bathtub? to be a fairly large bathtub, I think. Um, Winston is no small chap, and uh, tigers are also pretty large. But that's not my answer, actually. Um, I would like to share this beer with Malcolm McDowell. Okay. The actor. Yeah. Um, Star of, of course, Clockwork Orange, Mm -hmm. which is why I thought of this one. I think also Malcolm McDowell is a pretty interesting guy. I think he's still alive. Either way, it would be very interesting to talk to him. I, he appeared in the film Star Trek Generations. Do you remember this? Okay, I did not know that. He is the bad guy who finally killed Captain Kirk. All right. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, and I saw an interview with him once where the interviewer suggested that he could reappear in a later movie and also kill Captain Picard. Mm. And his response was, oh, that would be a pleasure. A great pleasure. <laughs> So I think Malcolm McDowell is a would be a very interesting guy to to talk to. Is he a method actor? Was he still in character from that movie? Does he think that he actually killed yeah. Captain Kirk? Um, but yeah, I think he would have a lot of stories about um, the different films that he's worked on. He's he's been in some fairly arty kind of films. He mm. was in the film If, which uh, is very interesting. He was in the Clockwork Orange, of course, mm. uh, and he's also he's had some low points in his career as well. I think he appeared in The Wing Commander. Okay. video games right. alongside Mark Hamill, right. which, although they were good games, probably not the highlight of his career. Mm. So that's who I would choose. Okay, interesting choice. Would you like Manticore's kids to be involved in this at any point, or no? Sorry, Manticore, excuse me, just straight up Manticore. The beer is obviously going to be there. Sure, why not? Um, I think it might be a conversation piece if we just had an prowling around white tiger prowling uh, the room. I imagine us kind of sitting on beanbags with some lava lamps going. Mm-hmm. Perhaps yeah. there's uh, some kind of white throw rugs. Everything in the room would have to be white. There's a fireplace, though. 
uh, a fire pit in the center of the room. Okay. A very kind of seventies way. Carved out of white marble. Exactly. Yep. Because the the white tiger fur gets everywhere, and it's a nightmare to clean up. Yeah. So right. just have an entirely white room, and you won't notice it. Right. Also, you have a huge fireplace, so you can just like chuck the rugs in, in there. there. Yeah. Eventually, just set it all on fire. And I bet that stinks. If you have to just burn clumps of tiger fur every day. <laughs> That would really distract from the beer. So let's well, not do that. Man, would that someday we have such problems. So if you are in the Tanchikawa area, then we very much recommend, Malcolm, that you drop by uh, or see Creed and Roy. This yep. is an open invitation to you. See if you're or Roy and or Roy. You would be willing to take them separately. Yeah, man. Why not? Okay. I don't think they appear separately. I think they're, they're fairly... Is it a pen and Teller kind of situation? They're codependent. Right, okay. They can both speak. I mm. think. Now, this has been a bumper week for listener questions. Thank you very much to everybody who does listen to this nonsense. It's a bumper two weeks. We took a week off. That's, that's kind of that's that's added to the bounty. That's been key. I was going to lead into this by saying, how swollen is your sack? Um, I had my third coronavirus injection on Monday. So, so extreme. Pretty swollen. Yeah. Um, distended might even be the word. Sorry, I meant male sack. Male sack, Yes. My M-A-L-E sack. My mail sack is hideously distended with all the uh, correspondence that we have received. Right. Is that where you keep them? So first I would like to say thank you to Casey and Ishikawa, um, long-time listener yeah. and frequent corresponder, uh, host, of course, of The Bean Pod, hmm. my favorite podcast to listen to in the bath. Yeah. And also Ishikawa Summit to Z, uh, my favorite uh, podcast to listen to in the shower. Did you have? Do you have top five rankings for this? Is it just like there's just one spot? There's just one spot. Okay. Rich. I don't take showers that are that long. Right. Uh, their episodes are quite long. Okay. But he's written in with uh, two very interesting questions for right. us to answer. Why don't you try and fill this first one? Mm-hmm. Um, so Casey writes, "I had my first hazy IPA tonight from West Coast Brewing, and it was really damn delicious." Mm. We agree. They are really damn delicious. They are beers. really damn delicious. Uh, but I'm a little hazy. See what he did there? Mm. On how a hazy IPA is made. And aside from being hazy, are there any other differences I should be perceiving between hazy and normal IPAs? Mm. So how is a hazy IPA made? Uh, the, the haze can come from a lot of uh, sources. You can uh, The haze can come from the malts that you put in. Uh, it can come from oats, for example, can create a bit of haze. But it can also come from the yeast that you use if it doesn't all fall out. Mm. Uh, sometimes it can comes from, come from the, the hops that are used as well. So it really depends on, on what the beer is. And we've noticed uh, buying kegs and selling kegs in here that uh, sometimes a haze stays very nicely in suspension throughout the beer. And every glass that you pour out of it is nice and hazy as it's intended. But, but other times it either floats to the top or sinks to the bottom. And right. The first couple of glasses are, are murk monsters and everything else after that or everything before that is, is totally clear. So we've written hazy IPA and it doesn't turn out that way. When it pours clear, that could be a little uh, disorienting. Sure. Uh, but it kind of leads into the next. Like So anyway, there are a lot of different ways to create the haze. It could come. I think most often it probably comes from the malts, but uh, it's basically suspended matter of some kind, yeah. particulates sure. in the beer. Uh, and yeah, you're right. The most common way is some kind of suspended protein from mm. a high protein malt, like oats or yeah. something, or 
um, unmalted wheat mm -hmm. that might add a lot of protein to the beer that is not going to drop out. And then you pair that with a yeast that doesn't sort of pull it all out of suspension. Right. Uh, Flocculate. That will give you a nice hazy beer if that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. Mm. Sorry, you were going to go on and say something else about hazy IPAs. Well, character-wise, I think in general the the uh, style of beer has been characterized by being fruity and juicy, I suppose, are the two words that you would throw in there. Mm. Uh, and, and what kind of fruitiness or juiciness you get out of it really is really dependent on the hops. I think a little bit of the, not, not to peek too far behind the curtain, but a bit of the frustration for breweries is that a lot of the time you can create the same beer that is not hazy. Mm. You can make a clear IPA that has those same fruity characteristics and is not hazy. Mm. Uh, but at this point, the market is asking for the haze and you kind of need to deliver the haze. So the haze craze. The haze craze uh, is sweeping the nation and uh, you kind of have to deliver on that. So These days. These days. So you could, uh, you could make the same beer that's not hazy and has the same flavor profile. But as we all know, uh, the first bite is with the eyes, as they say. And if you know what a hazy IPA is and you have expectations, when you get handed, a, you order a hazy beer and you get handed a beer that is hazy, you already have created some flavor assumptions in your mind and in your mouth. And when you drink it, I think that augments your appreciation of what's being delivered to you. So uh, it, it would be foolish to say that the haziness doesn't add to the beer in some way. Um, but at the same time, Hops are amazing things, and we've got all kinds of really great, amazing, super fruity hops. Um, A's. So you can make, uh, yeah, there's a lot of A's words in here. So you can make a lot of uh, beers that, that would go over very well as hazy beers. You could make them clear just as easily. Uh, so how much does the look add into that flavor profile? That's mm. a tough question to answer. So one interesting thing to consider is which came first? Was it the haziness or was it the flavor profile mm. that people were looking for? So um, the, the hops add bitterness to the beer, uh, basically depending on how long you boil them. For. Mm. And the longer you have them in the boil, um, the more bitterness you will extract. Uh, but you will also kind of drive off some of the uh, volatile flavor and aroma compounds. Mm. Um, so you're left with a lot of bitterness, but not that much flavor. So one of the ways that hazy IPAs were sort of first developed was that brewers are experimenting with adding a lot of hops right at the end of the mm. boil, or even in the whirlpool after the boil had finished. And that would add, you know, a lot of really great hop flavor and aroma, mm. but without a lot of bitterness. Mm. And give it a kind of soft character, softer, juicy character instead of a, a, a bitter character. So that's kind of what you're looking for in a hazy IPA, isn't it? That mm. juiciness. And Absolutely. Casey's second question. The hazy IPA was from West Coast Brewing, whose website I looked at while enjoying the beer. And the dude, I assume he means the hop dude. The hop dude, yeah. Uh, the hop dude was doing video introductions of their beers. Have you considered doing any videos for your beers? Oh, wait. He doesn't mean the hop dude. He means Derek. Derek is the hop dude, isn't he? No, is he? I, I assume so. He has okay. a persona who he puts on the cans. Right. Um, have you considered doing any videos for your beers so the masses can get to know you and your beers more? I would watch them. Thank you very much, Casey. Mm. Have we considered doing videos, video content 
We have thought about it. We have talked about it a little bit. It's just uh, it's just the two of us here, and um, this is very much full time work for two people just running this place to the to the very basic degree that we do right now and trying to get the brewery going. So it's something we've talked about, but uh, doing the podcast and uh, recording it once a week and editing the podcast is, is kind of limits of our multimedia capabilities right now in terms of time and interest and, and energy expended, I think. So uh, appreciate that it's another way for people to kind of access Sakamichi Brewing and get to know us uh, and appreciate that it could be a good way to reach out to customers and people interested in us, but it's tough to find the time for everything that we want to do right now. That's true, yes. Uh, and it's going to get tougher, you know, once we start construction on the brewery. Mm. Once we start brewing, there's going to be even more stuff to do. Um, I think with editing, recording and editing a podcast, um, we usually record for, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour, and then it takes me roughly the same amount of time to edit it down to the 30-minute the episode. Yeah. But for video, I think it would it would just be a much more laborious process. There's a lot. There's a lot more to consider with recording video. Sure. I'd have to get the lighting right. The video editing would take much longer. Um, I know that people who do make video content, it's a full time job yeah. for them. We yeah. know Kempai Planet and mm. Mac. That's his job basically, full time, mm. uh, making all of that fantastic video content. Yeah. So it's not really something that I would want to go into lightly. We would have to have a clear plan yes. for what we wanted to do and how we were going to do it. And it would also be a huge time commitment to do it in the right way. Yeah. So it's something we've thought about, but I'm just not sure if it's practical to do at the moment. I think do it in the right way is the key sticking point. Mm. That neither one of us wants to put out trash of anything. Right. Both of us, even if there's something that we're doing on kind of an amateur level, yes, sorry to all our listeners. Even if it's something we're doing on an amateur level, like we made the chairs and the table in this tap room. And, you know, we're not, we both have a bit of woodworking and carpentry experience, but not a lot. But we wanted to make sure that they were good quality things that would last and, you know, mm. not collapse under people. We have pretty high standards for the stuff that, that goes out for the public to consume or interact with. That might be hard for people to believe. Yes, yeah. Listening to this podcast, that might be tough to believe. But uh, we wouldn't just want to put a camera on the podcast and then release some hour and a half long unedited footage of us, you yeah. know, rambling on. Uh, we it would be something that we want to put some time in and be proud of the product that was coming out. So it's, it's, uh, it's not a, it's not a simple proposition to start anything else new because we need to figure out how to, uh, how much time do we need to invest to make something that we are happy to release? Right. That's a different question than just like, could we make a video of ourselves doing whatever and put it out there? It's also quite a different, that is very true. And it's also quite a different financial investment. I think like a USB microphone, like the one we use to record this, mm. doesn't really cost that much money. Right. Less than 5,000 yen, I mm. think, is adequate. Um, but video recording equipment and editing software is more expensive as well. Uh, and at some point, we would have to start to think about the return that we were getting yeah. on that and whether sure. it was worth investing that mm. money in it. So thank you very much, Casey, for your excellent questions. And thank you for the standing invitation for us to come and drink beer in your garden. Absolutely going to take him up on that. We received one other excellent question this week 
from HappyGal03 in Vorder, Scotland. And she asks, as one of the key ingredients of beer, does water quality have any significant effect on the final beer taste? In Scotland, there's a lot of hype about water and whiskey production, and I wondered if the same applied to beer. Let me lead into this before you come in. Go ahead. There, there is a lot, right? There, there's, there are a lot of beers that talk about, you see it even in Japan. There's a lot of breweries that say, oh, we're using Minakami water. We're using water from, that comes out of these mountains or right. those mountains. Or, yeah. nur, 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 nur. It's, it's almost to the point where I feel like that must be all marketing. Right. Or not all marketing, but like it's it's so pronounced for some places that they, they make such a big deal that like, oh, this water is from here. Hmm. It's over the top to the point where it, it, to me, I go, you're just telling me a story. Right. This is just empty marketing speech. Or half empty, maybe? Right. Anyway, that's, that's my feeling. And having said that, I will turn it over to you. Uh, you might be right in that... Um, I mean, beer is 90 to 95% water. So obviously it plays a huge, hugely important mm, sure. factor in, in how the beer turns out. But if you're having this super pure um, water from mountain springs, it has absolutely no minerals or anything, and it's just pure H2O, mm. that's good in a way. But one of the reasons that is good is because it gives you a blank canvas to adjust the water the way that you want to adjust it. Right. Right. So um, water chemistry is actually probably one of the most complicated parts of making good beer. Uh, And partially that's because wherever you're brewing the beer, the water is going to be slightly different. So it's very nice to have um, completely pure water because that means you can adjust it any way that you want. Okay. But if you think about some of the traditional places that beer comes from and the character of the beer that comes from those places, they weren't able to adjust the water in the 19th century. Mm. So they had to make the beer that was suitable based on the water right. where they were. So, for example, Burton-on-Trent, the water there is particularly suited to making very hop-forward beers. Mm. Whereas in Edinburgh the water there is much more suited to making malt-forward beers. Mm-hmm. And so those are the kinds of beers that have been successful from those places. I think right. in no small part due to just the water profile that right. they had. These days we have kind of processes and different things we can do to filter the water when it comes into the brewery. Uh, and there are, there are a few different factors that we need to consider um, for the water. The first one is the pH of the water. So most tap water will come out slightly alkaline, but we want, uh, for brewing purposes, we want it to end up slightly acidic. Mm. So when you mix the, uh, the hot water and the malt, uh, the malt will naturally make the water a little bit more acidic, but you might need to help it along the way a little bit. Um, some brewers will actually add acid to their water, or they mm. might add some different uh, minerals to the water to right. help it to acidify so when you're, uh, when you're mashing the beer, you want a, a, a pH of about 5.2 to 5.6. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the ideal pH range for the enzymes in the malt to convert the starch into sugar. So if it's 
very different from that, then you will probably have a less effective enzymatic conversion. Right. So you might leave behind some starch in the water. You mm. might get less of the fermentable sugar out of the malt than you were expecting to. Right. And that can really change the character of the beer. So we need to sort of carefully monitor the pH of the water and also monitor the way that the water interacts with the malt when we're mashing it together mm. to make the wort. We've been to breweries that do a lot of conditioning of the water. We've been to places that tailor ev the water on every brew and have right. a number of different things they will add to the water. We've been to other breweries. I don't think we've been anywhere that just lets it ride. Right. But we've been to other places. Some places have full-on like osmosis filters and all kinds of stuff. And then we've been to other places that uh, will we'll do much less kind of work to condition their water based on what they're doing. They, like Everybody's going to kind of add a little bit of something here and there. Right. But some places are really tailoring every single brew. And I think that's, that's a mark of taking it really seriously. Mm. Like um, it's sometimes said that water is the last ingredient that people master just because it is complicated and because you can't just look up in a book like, what should I be doing? You have to take into account the water in your specific location and right. how you want to adjust right. it to the beers that you're trying to make. So there's no real shortcut or cheat sheet uh, to, to the kind of water that you want to have. Um, so the first thing that we're going to consider is the pH. Uh, and then the other, this is a very simplified version of this, but one of the other things we want to think about is what are some of the um, ions that might be present in the water, mm -hmm. some other minerals that might be present. Mm. So, for example, calcium and magnesium are present in, uh, in most water. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of those, uh, they can help with uh, yeast nutrition, mm. and they can also help to slightly acidify the water. They interact in complicated ways with the enzymes uh, to help with the, the enzymatic activity as well. So you definitely want calcium and magnesium in your water. Two of the other ions that we sometimes keep an eye on are the sulfates and the chlorides. Uh, what? Was that on purpose? What? Two of the other ions that we keep an eye on. Very good. Was that? I didn't so, even. I didn't even think of that. Okay, it was great. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't sure if it was on purpose, but you weren't looking. Usually, you drop those and then you give me a look, <laughs> and that's how I know. That was completely uh, unintentional. Anyway, we're keeping an right. eye on we're keeping an eye on those ions. Yep, sulfates and chlorides. So sulfates would be present in the water in uh, Vertinon tract. So those tend to produce very hop forward beers. Mm -hmm. They can accentuate the bitterness in hops and the general flavour of hops. Whereas chlorides, they would be more present in the water in Edinburgh, and they tend to accentuate the maltiness right. of beer okay. and the malt forward mm. beers. That is a very oversimplified way of looking at it. Sure, yeah. Uh, and as with all things, it's a matter of balance. So you can't just say, okay, I want a, a hop-forward beer. I've got to add a lot of sulfates to this. If your water already has lots of sulfates and you add more to it, then you're going to have a beer that smells like farts, basically. Right. Mm. And if it already has a lot of chlorine and you add some more chlorides to it, then you're going to have a beer that smells like a swimming pool. Right. And it's going to be unpleasant right. either way. Both of those sound bad. Both of those are bad. Uh, the last ion that we keep an eye on. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's, I read to that time. That's the delivery I'm looking for. Is uh, sodium, uh, which also helps with um, sort of the, the use of nutrition and the enzymatic activity. Mm. 
But obviously, if you have too much sodium in your water, then it's just going to taste really salty, sure. yeah. which is good for some kinds of beer. If you're making a goza, for example, but in most cases, that's not really something that you want. Mm. So it's about understanding the water that you have and understanding the kind of beer that you're trying to make right. and then balancing all of these different um, ions or the pH and everything. And these systems all interact with each other in complicated mm. ways as well. So it's a, it's a very fascinating and very complicated and difficult to understand part of brewing. And it's, uh, it, it's accessible to think about the malts and accessible to think about the hops and the yeast. Like those right. three things are quite concrete. When you start talking about like the characteristics of your water, you're getting into some, you know, it's just straight up chemistry at right. that point. Uh, and that stuff is much less accessible, I think, for the average drinker or beer aficionado. It's like, oh, I enjoy these hops or I enjoy this style of beer or like, you know. And with those ingredients as well, you can pick them up and smell them and taste them. So sure. You can just pick the malt up and chew it. Yeah, and absolutely. Get an idea of what yeah. it tastes like. You can like. smell those hops yeah. and then the next time you drink a beer, you go, oh, yeah, that smells like those hops. You right. can, you can have a, a real world connection to those things. But when it comes down to the water profile, like this is a level of nerdery that, that your average beer fan, you know, you, you can't really access so well. Don't think there was enough magnesium in the, <laughs> the water for this beer. Send it back. I won't drink this. Well, as you said, it's, uh, you know, it's not just a, a, an issue of the amount of magnesium. It's how much magnesium was it based on your current, your, the water profile as it comes out of the tap, right? It's, it's right. a very difficult thing for And in balance with person. all of the other yeah, minerals absolutely. that might be present in yeah. the water. So it's, a, it's really fascinating. Uh, and it's one of the things that I like about brewing is that there seems to be no upper limit to the amount that you can learn about it. Mm. I'm still definitely learning a lot about making beer. Uh, and it is in some ways, still a developing science. Right? There are still things being sure. learned about Absolutely. what happens during fermentation mm. and, uh, and how all of these different systems interact. So that is a really fascinating world to be a part of. Absolutely. We had two more uh, brief questions that we would like to answer. Uh, the first one came in from Kevin in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Very much friend of the pod. Hope you're doing well, Kevin. Um, he, uh, he bets that you and uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus would make an excellent dancing pair, uh, yeah. which I 100% agree with. She's not wrong. Yeah. So um, he's not wrong. He's, he's not wrong. Hey, Julia Louise Dreyfus is also not She's wrong. She's also wrong. Right. She's not wrong. Um, he would like to know a little bit more about cryo hops, hmm. though. Um, we might have discussed that a little bit on a previous episode. We did, very early in the series. Um, but do you want to review what are cryo hops? How do they work? Sure. Or do you want um, me to review uh, cryo hops, as I understand it, is you have regular like whole hops, which is the actual bud of the hop plant. Right. You have pellet hops, which is when you process those buds into kind of pellet size, almost like dog food looking little bits that uh, have all of the important things that hops have for, for brewers. Yep. And then cryo hop, hops is just processing those further down into the, the relative elements. Uh, my understanding is that you end up with uh, much smaller packaging for a much more potent kind of hop uh, punch, which obviously helps for shipping and things like that for those of us overseas. Mm. Uh, but it also changes the character a little bit. I understand when you brew with uh, with cryo hops, 
and we see this a bit. We see some of the breweries making like the same beer side by side, one with like the regular hops or the regular hop pellets of a certain type, and then making the same beer with uh, the cryo hop and releasing them side by side so that people can taste the difference. Uh, but it's it's a distilled kind of shrunk down version of all of the things that you want out of the hop in, in a smaller package. Yeah, it's had all of the hop character, mm. the flavor compounds extracted from it in a complicated process yeah. involving liquid nitrogen, I think. Yeah. Um, but my experience has been that it beers made just with cryo hops can be a little thin mm. and lacking in character. Like maybe you need the vegetal nature of sure. the rest of that bud. Vegetal. Like, Add a little bit of body, um, some bud body yeah. uh, to the beer. Uh, interestingly, there's uh, going kind of beyond cryo hops. Uh, you now have companies like Yakima Chief, which is one of the big kind of uh, cooperative farms. Like it's a group of farms working together and they produce hops and hop products. They're making uh, like currently, I, I don't know if there's only one now, but it's called Cryo Pop. And it is a blend of, so they've taken a bunch of hops, reduced them, I guess, down to pellets, and then reduced them further and blended a number of different hops mm. into uh, one cryo hop. Right. So uh, you get a number of different hops inside this one package. We had a beer in recently. It was uh, Pathways by Offshoot, which is the brewery's uh, excuse for making IPAs. And that was done with cryo pop. Uh uh, very nice beer, very delicious. Uh, Yakima Chief kind of presents this uh, the cryo pop blend as a way to make very delicious single hop beers, which I feel like we need to push back on a little bit because it's right. a blend of hops. Like, yes, you're only, you're only adding, opening one packet. You're only adding one hop hops. product. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like making a cake out of cake mix and saying you only used one ingredient right. to make a cake. Uh, but that's that's a real interesting new kind of field of hops that I think is going to be more and more prominent because you can just kind of say, right, I want, I want fruity tropical or mm -hmm. I want a uh, kind of bitter citrus or I want whatever. And there will be a, uh, you know, a cryo blend that will suit your needs. That's going to be quite a neat thing to play around with in the future. So if you want to stretching that cake metaphor, cake mix metaphor instead of blending the hops for yourself and choosing all the different hops you want for that flavor profile you can just look to the experts mm. at the Yakima Chief and say look this is the kind of flavor profile I'm going for what blends do you have Absolutely. that matches this yep. thank you very much Kevin for your question uh, the other question the final question that we have comes from recorded songs mm -hmm. uh, both of our favorite recent podcasts yeah um there are two questions actually here. The first one, German, Belgian, Japanese, American beer. You can only keep one. Which one are you choosing? I mean, we make Japanese beer, so I'm going to have to say Japanese for this. I would like to keep our beer. I'm going, to, I'm going to smite us from the earth. It's American beer. This is the one I want to keep. Fair enough. Final question. Best music-related beer. Well, we're not a review show. No. As everybody knows. So best is a tough question to answer. There's been a lot of interesting music-related beers. The Deftones collaboration with uh, Belching Beaver. Yeah, They Def produced a bunch of really good beers. That's right. Phantom uh, Bride, which Phantom we have coming Bride. up on tap soon. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, even in Japan, Tokyo Ale Works uh, has a tie-in with the heavy metal band Napalm Death. Mm. They've made a few beers together, I guess. Maybe the lead singer of Napalm Death? I'm not entirely sure. I remember talking about this before, but uh, uh, one of the guys from Napalm Death is a big craft beer guy, ended up at Tokyo Ale Works, and they've done a few beers that, that I believe also raise money for charity. Mm. Uh, a few things that, uh, that they both kind of uh, believe in and want to raise money for. But there's a lot of stuff like that. Obviously, there's a lot of craft beer drinkers in the world. And there are a lot of people in bands and playing music that want to get into beer. Um, there was a brewery that did a collaboration with Pearl Jam for their like the 20th anniversary of Pearl Jam's album 10, which was a huge album for many people of my age from America. Classic album. Um I also read, and I missed this when it happened, but Suntory did a tie-in with the Rolling Stones, okay. I think around 2012, where they branded all kinds of Suntory products in Japan with uh, the Rolling Stone logo, the the mouth with the big tongue hanging out, yeah. Sir Lickington, is it? I'm sure it hasn't. Has it not been knighted? I, I don't know. You know Sir, what I'm talking Sir about, Lickington though, right? Or yes. Lickington Creek. Sir Lickington of Lickington Goochland. Creek, Goochland, Virginia. Um. Yeah, so there's been a lot of tie-ins. I, I think probably the most the most fun one that I know of is the band Hanson. Yes. Uh, who everybody everybody knows, obviously. I'm familiar with this. This they, is what I was going to bring up. Yeah, this is the one. They they now have a craft brewery, and they make beer. And I don't know if it's their signature beer, but if not, it certainly should be. As you know, it's called mm Hops. It's an English pale ale. It's an extremely good name. Yeah, it's great. If uh, it were possible for us to collaborate with one musical act, who would you choose to make some beer with? Mm, man. You know, early on, uh, we were more limited in our musical options in this place for various kind of technical reasons. And we played a lot of Wolfpack. Yep. I still go back to Wolfpack here and there. In here, it's got a good peppy, upbeat, head bopping music. So I, I have to say those guys. I think if we had the opportunity, uh, I would like to do something with them. I feel like the Wolf universe is a very positive place to be mm. as well. So yeah. um, their fans would... It, almost all uh, YouTube videos that you look at have... like the, the comments are just an absolute dumpster fire, right? But the exception is Wolfpack videos, where it's all just super positive stuff oh, nice. and everyone is being really friendly and encouraging. Yep. So I would like to bring some of that positivity yeah. and friendliness into our brewery. Good mm. choice. Do we have any other interesting beers coming up soon that Man. people should know about? Manticore's Kiss on tap from Thursday. From now, when you're listening to this. Sorry, Shigasachi. Excuse me. <clears throat> Shirasagi White IPA. It's easy for you to say. Mm. Uh, that's on tap from today, Thursday, the 10th of February. Mm. Uh, as we mentioned, we do in the fridge have a few other kegs coming up in a bit. There's a keg of Phantom Bride, the Belching Beaver Deftones collaboration beer. Yep. And there may also be a keg of Peanut Butter Milk Stout Ooh. waiting in there. So all you got to do is come and finish this delicious Coco Jones beer that we also have on tap right not, now. Not a chore, really, finishing Not, not a chore That's at great. all. Um, and then we will have uh, lots of good beers coming up. That's about all we have time for this week. Thank you very much 
for listening. Thank you very much to everyone who sent in questions. We always enjoy answering those. Uh, stay safe, everybody, and we will see you again next time. I'm so glad we were able to empty your sack. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>